We are Chris and Beth Bruno, and this is the Walking With Podcast. We lead a team of brave and brilliant story work counselors and coaches around the country, all committed to helping you come alive. Join us as we explore the sacred landscape of the human heart at the intersection of theology, psychology, and ministry. In this season, we're inviting ministry leaders to join us to discuss the challenges they face as they lead and walk with others. Well, Greg and Jody, it's great to have you as a part of Walking With. I've loved seeing you and your ministry and what you're doing in the world. So we'd love to hear from you what that is. Tell us a little bit about yourselves, uh, where you find yourselves, what your ministry is about, and then we'll dive into your question today. Thanks for having us, Chris. Uh, We are big fans of you from afar. I I hope that you know that. Likewise. I'm, of course, Jody, and I'm here with Greg. Greg. (laughs) Uh, Just kidding. Greg, one of the area directors for Young Life in Northern Colorado. Thrilled to be here. And um, Jody, hi. Yes, I'm also one of the area directors. We do work with uh, a large group of college students who are volunteer leaders and also adults who want to intersect kids, middle school, high school, kids with disabilities, teen moms, college students, and that's the basic relational ministry of Young Life. And so we spend a lot of our time developing and training the volunteer leaders that do that work with us. And that's where we come out with our question for today is just our experience in walking with them. Yeah. Through walking with. Yeah. 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 Walking with. That. There we go. <laughs> well, I'm also 39.8 years old. Okay. I weigh about 194 pounds and I'm about <laughs> six one. So so if our listeners haven't quite caught on yet, you did say it very clearly like you are young life leaders. And so there's there is the appropriate level of, of goofiness and, and, and all that, which I love. I love, I love. So we all need more of that. Thanks for, bringing <laughs> it. Thanks for bringing it. So if I understand correctly, so you as the area directors, you hold a lot. You hold your staff, you hold your volunteers, you hold the kiddos that you're reaching out to. And so there's, there's just a ton that is on your plate. So thank you for what you do. It is so, so needed. Yes. So, all right. What's your question? Let's dive into the conversation. Chris, our question is, if we can't figure out how to rest, how will we ever find peace? Great question. <laughs> I think there's an intersection between psychology and theology there that we would love to bat around today. Mm-hmm. The intersection there. Yes. There yes, yes, yes. Can I as begin answering the question or talking about it with asking, asking another one first? Of course. How would you both identify or categorize the similarities or difference between rest and peace? Oh, good question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think peace, we would go with shalom. Yeah. Which is things as they ought to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So you think about plants bringing fruit as they ought to bring fruit, forth fruit, forth fruit, as opposed to all juiced up with fertilizers and bringing forth fruit every single year or things as they ought to be animals sleeping when they're designed to sleep and being awake when they're designed to be awake humans under the model 
uh, that we see laid out, I think, through scripture and certain accounts and also the meta story, being a people of work, which is invigorating and good, and a people of rest. And that whole picture, giving a picture of shalom. So just like the ocean has high tide, where the water is spilled out thin onto hot ground and um, rejuvenates and restores things, and then low tide, it's pulled back to the deep recesses and there's a cooling quiet there. That movement is a picture, I think, of shalom, peace. And there can be rest in high tide and there can be rest in low tide. But the whole picture is a picture of things as they ought to be. What is that? What's the phrase? Nothing missing, nothing broken. That's right. Mm -hmm. The the peace that Jesus brings. So no one is missing. So there's diversity, there's inclusion, there's eyes for all people push push to the margins. And in those relationships, and when we're all present, we're working through healing them and restoring what was broken. So So then what is rest? I think rest would be the smaller disciplines or obediences or rhythms that bring you to a place of experiencing, living in, knowing God's peace. So I think things as simple as weekly Sabbath rhythms, understanding daily how to leave the spin of anxiety or the the, the trap of anxiety when you start to spin down there and get full of you're flustered and fretting and sharp and edgy, giving yourself permission to sleep eight hours at night and knowing that that is good for you. It feels like the little rhythms, the little places of obedience or freedom that um, culminate into a life of experienced shalom and peace. Yeah. The obedience to rest brings peace. Yeah. So with those definitions then out there now on the table, like, your question is if we can never, how, how did you phrase it? If we can't learn to rest, will we ever find peace? Yes. Which obviously I think we know that we're saying it's more of a statement. If we don't learn to rest, we will never find peace. And I think Greg and I encounter that almost daily in our walk with developing leaders and staff. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I asked the question back to you about rest and peace, because I feel like that the frenetic pace of ministry is always something that we're going to be struggling with. I think, especially in the West is this frenetic pace. And if ministry in the West was an Enneagram number, it would be an Enneagram three, right? So, okay. So that's just, it's always the performing, performing more and more we've got to do. And, and so the, the question comes out of, in my mind, I, I think you described them well, that peace is something that comes out of a theology of God and rest is something that comes out of a theology of man. And as I begin to think about that and unpack that a little bit, that peace is something really that only comes from God himself. It's emanating from him. It's something that we don't create peace. There's nothing that we can do as humans to create a sense of peace. We cannot restore the world in the Eden that it was originally created, the shalom that was originally created to be. We cannot do anything to restore that. That is God alone. And God alone is the one that fills it with his peace and, and brings, you know, him being the prince of peace, he's bringing that back to the world and the restoration of all things. And so in some ways, guys, I feel like the answer is we, we can't fully know peace until he does that. 
We, we can't fully know that. We can have some tastes of it. And as you said, when a fruit tree produces fruit in the way that it should, there is a taste of that. There's some flavors of that. But until he fully brings himself back to the world and restores us to who we should all be, we're not going to know peace in the fullness and the extent. But we can know rest. And what I say about the theology of man is coming back to this idea of we are not God. And so rest ultimately is a movement into a belief that we are not God. Unrest mm-hmm. is a belief that we have some level of God-likeness. And what I mean by that is the idea of a Sabbath. You know, the Sabbath rest that Hebrews talks about is we actually have to stop our work, our control over the earth. We have to stop and pretend that all is well and step out of the frenetic pace that says, if I just work harder, things will be better mm-hmm. and, and rest, not just our bodies like sleep and giving ourselves permission to sleep, but rest in the reality that God is who he says he is. And ultimately what will happen is according to his plan and his design and his design is that I will rest. So it's not a matter of permission. It's a matter of obedience. And I think that requires humility because you have to embrace limits and reckon with... Which is so easy for us all to do, right? Embrace our limits. Yeah. If a bumper sticker worked, we wouldn't need ministers, Chris. Wow. You would also be out of a job. So way out of a job. You know, (laughs) if if Hallmark cards could just actually, you know... If you could listen, if I could give a a college student a, a sermon series on rest in peace and they could, or listen to what you just said, and then they would implement it in their life and then they would experience and taste it. Why don't we do what we know is good for us? Yeah. Yeah. Is that a legit question? Why don't we? No. I would, you have the answer to that question? I don't, don't, but here's what I do know is I know why I don't do those things. Yeah. Is that I don't do those things because I don't actually believe that God is who he says he is. Yeah. And that when it comes down to it, it's, I actually believe that if I just stay up one more hour and do one more thing, or if I expand my reach and do, you know, one more thing that it will, the world will be better. And the reality is that God doesn't actually need me. Mm -hmm. It is. And it is uncomfortable. It's interesting is when you live, when you try to step into that and you live that way and you set limits and you don't overperform or overproduce, it makes everyone around you uncomfortable. And that discomfort will push us back into our old rhythms. Yes. I, I also think that there's occasions when people don't do what's best for them because they have not been apprenticed in the good way, the best way, the way of Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the one he does invite us. If you're burdened and weary, come to me. I'll give you rest. He tells us, he tells it through his conversation with his disciples, my peace I give to you and leave it with you. Now, of course, I heard a, a person describe one time that walking with the Lord or walking with his peace or walking with his spirit on us, is kind of like, if you could imagine having a, a dove perched on your shoulder, how you would behave to try to not flush the dove from your shoulder. It's just a cool way of thinking about mm-hmm. slowing down, approaching a stairway with understanding that there's a bird on your shoulder, <laughs> um, yelling at something. It's just a funny way. What of an image. That's awesome. And, but in yeah. a beautiful way, I just go, man, like, 
do I, like Jody's so good at this, but do I know that gratitude flushes anxiety from my mind at a neurological level? Gratitude, mm-hmm. Thanksgiving actually flushes those neural pathways and I cannot be anxious and grateful at the same time. If once I know that, oh my goodness, the practice is liberating. And then I get to taste and see that God is good. Yes. I love that image of the dove on your shoulder. And (laughs) (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I'm not the same. I was, I was, I was on a little mini sabbatical a couple of years ago and we were at this little parsonage kind of place. And there was a book on the shelf that I'd never heard of before. And it's, it comes out of England, which is, you know, that it didn't get published in the States. So I'd never heard of it. I think the title of it is working from a place of rest. And I can't say that it was the most extremely like well-written book that I've read, but it had some really good stuff within it. And one of the things that the author talked about was how much goodness and how much work and how much ministry was actually accomplished when Jesus was in a place of rest. One of the examples was from John four, where he comes to, he comes to the woman at the well. Well, the entire encounter with the woman at the well and Jesus sending the disciples into town to go get some food and all that. It it starts with John talking about how Jesus sat down at the well to rest, Mm -hmm. which then opened the possibility for the conversation with this woman, which then opened the possibility for the disciples and opened the possibility for this village to come to know who he was because he actually sat down and rested. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, you know, in the frenetic pace of Jesus's ministry, he was on a journey. He was heading from, you know, from one place to another and he had things to do, but if he didn't rest, what would have happened to that entire region? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wonder for us too, the invitation to rest is not just to set limits, but it's actually to open spaces mm-hmm. for God to be doing something in us, for God to be doing something in our families, for God to be doing something in our ministries from a place of what, of rest. Like what if we were to actually work from a place of rest? Like I am rested and so Lord, what do you have for us today? When I first moved to Colorado, I was walking the dog and I was just starting in restoration counseling and restoration projects and all the things that we were just beginning to start. And I was in this Enneagram three mode of like, okay, what do I need to do today? And I remember going, our neighborhood is kind of on a ridge and I walked the dog up to the ridge and I was praying, you know, beautiful sunrise. And I was asking the Lord, what do you, you know, what do you want me to do today? And I don't hear God in audible ways. I think that he could potentially answer audibly, but he I felt like he actually answered me. He said, Chris, that's the wrong question. And so then my natural response to this little conversation with God was, so then what is the right question? His, his answer was, the question is not, what do you want me to do today, God? The question is more, what do you have for me today? Mm. And it's this reframing of this, that, working from a place of rest. Like if I move into my day, I'm still going to do things. I'm still going to engage. But if what you just said about gratitude and anxiety, I can move into the day in a place of gratitude for what he's laid out before me and from a place of rest rather than, Oh shoot, I didn't get those things done today. And of course we need to get some things done. But if that's the focus of everything that we're doing, we miss the gifts that he's laid out for us and we miss the actual rest that he has offered us throughout the day. 
Yeah. I think show me a person, a minister who spends an obscene amount of time with Jesus, who doesn't get their job done. Well, show me, show me that person. Boom. And I think that the, because we're constantly trying to figure out how to translate that to, to stir desire in college students to choose differently, to risk, to live differently. Cause we, one of our mantras is we're not about stopping things, we're about becoming someone. We stole that from, you know, Dan Allender, but. How is that working? Yeah, it is. Thanks, Dan. There was a, a reality of like, I have to, the, the, the impetus is on me to be that person. Mm-hmm. And when someone gets close enough to me to ask, I want what I want to live, I want this that you have, then I get to say, then do what I do. And I think that's how Jesus discipled. They walked with him. And the reality is Jesus did a lot of stuff, but he walked everywhere. So he had a lot of freaking time to do nothing. (laughs) He wasn't driving back and forth all around. He was walking. So the actual just rhythm, and he only did ministry for three years. For all those of us trying to do a lifelong thing, we need to calm down. (laughs) <laughs> and understand that Jesus even went, yes. did a lot because he had a limited time and then he was going to have this lean on the spirit. Mm-hmm. So there's just that and too. There was a quietness about him that we can, we can imagine between the lines from when he was 12 years old to 28, 29, mm-hmm. 30 years old at a wedding. Didn't show up thinking it was his time to start rolling at his mom, you know, in the wisdom, mm-hmm. and I think the prompting of the Lord set the course um, of his obedience into action. So there, but there was a quietness and a stillness around the carpentry, the times in the synagogue, the walks, etc. from this little bum town of Nazareth, which yeah. was not known for anything. <laughs> and just the seasons of fall, when there are no leaves on the trees, the seasons of winter, when everything is quiet and still, it's all around us that this is necessary. And Joe, what's that? You have it memorized. So just Isaiah 30. Oh yeah. yeah. And rest and repentance is your salvation and quietness and trust is your strength to saying Isaiah, but you would have none of it in Isaiah 30, 15 to the people, to a big group of people like this is for you, but you would not have it. And you, I won't have it. Yeah. you won't have it. And I think that's what we're addressing is why won't you have it? Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't look attractive. We don't celebrate it. And what's celebrated is repeated. So we have a big ship to turn in Christendom in the West. I think that you hit on that. Very much. Yeah. Guys, sometimes it's just helpful to know. Sometimes here's a fact. It's just helpful to know. C.S. Lewis, Clive, old Clive, C.S. Lewis, <laughs> we, would, we would all say maybe has accomplished some pretty great stuff. <laughs> Take a guess at what time he woke up every morning. I don't know. I don't Six know either. Eight. 6 a.m. What time do you think he woke up? Just take it. Just take it. Whenever people do that, it kind of ruins it. But <laughs> he woke up at 7 a.m. every day. He woke up at 7 a.m. He's a grown man. He's a professor. He's renowned as a writer, a theologian, etc., etc., etc. My man woke up every day at 7 a.m. And I know that in some of my circles, waking up at 7 a.m., uh, you're, you're going to catch. The half gone by 7 a.m. Yes. And there are just, if you begin to look around, you will find that there are many women who have rhythms of rest and Sabbath. And the purpose of their life was not productivity, but the fruit of their life was rich for many. And just knowing that sometimes is just helpful to just set, set us free and go, I'm not going to be so arrogant to think that I can outpace the Lord of heaven and earth who took a rest day or Jesus who didn't start till he was 30 and then closed it up exhausted and crying out, where are you, God? 33. So, yeah, 
but what would it be like for us in the West, in Christendom, as you said, to reward rest rather than reward productivity? I think when I have some thoughts about that, data collection is not going away. We are never going to stop collecting data and measuring things. And we have got to collect data on days of solitude. We need to collect data on uh, walks and stillness. We need to collect data on breath prayer minutes. If you're running a staff and you're celebrating 80 kids came to youth group and every single staff person had a day of solitude this month. And we're talking about celebrating and communicating both. If we're not going to stop collecting data, then let's measure what matters. And I think numbers tell a story. Every number has a name. That's one idea, Chris. Yes. Preach. (laughs) Here's, here's another tidbit. Jody has the good stuff. I'm just going to drop tidbits. Study in um, Japan. I don't remember which city it was, but it was, it was one of the cities where we know that the density of the, of the living quarters and the population is immense. And they were studying uh, the effect of how you spend your lunch hour and its effects physiologically on you in regards to cholesterol, blood pressure, et cetera, stress, stress markers. They had, they had a control group that did nothing, did their normal thing for lunch. And they, they had three groups that did something else. One group that sat in silence, one group that listened to classical music, and one group that listened to the sound of birds. I won't make you guess because Chris will probably get it right. But <laughs> when you think about that, sitting in silence, listening to classical music, listening to the song of birds, or doing, or doing what you always do, which is eat and type, send emails. The group that had a remarkably, the ones, the three groups had no, the quiet classical music and birds, they all showed a difference with the, with the control group. The ones that listened to birds singing had a remarkably different turnout with their physiological indicators around stress. And then you just hear Jesus whispering, look at the birds, look at them. They don't worry about stuff. They don't worry about anything. Your father takes care of them. Be anxious for nothing. Like you just, it's, it's remarkable when little things like that surface, like tulips, to prove that God has been right. There's life right here, right here. If I would just, and so I just, mm-hmm. Jody's data collection, you're right. And then this study, this study that happened out of Japan, you're like, I need to slow down and do what Jesus says. I need to do what he says. I think I'm using this term right. Correct me if you know. It otherwise, but I think there's actually a term called forest bathing. Yes. Wow. Guys, you're using it correctly. That's the most hippie okay. thing I've ever heard in my whole life. That, and that is where you do exactly that, Greg. You go, you, you find a space because I think that, that God created nature to be restorative for us and beauty to be restorative. And so when you're listening to those birds, it's like, yes, be the birds. And you also hear Jesus say, come to the wilderness right? There's, there's goodness for you here. So forest bathing, go check it out. Well, maybe with that, we will just go ahead and say thank you for being with us today and really appreciate it. And like I said, appreciate what you do. I love that you bring the question. And I do think that we need to find ways to reward the things that are actually transformational in our Christian walk, right? Because those are the things that are going to bring the kingdom and bring about that piece that we talked about. So guys, thank you so much. The Walking With Podcast is a product of Restory Labs, the digital laboratory of Restoration Counseling Center. And did you know under Restory Labs, we host another podcast called Thrive Marriage. 
If you or someone you know is married, subscribe to Thrive to hear professional and personal stories on topics relevant to couples who want more for their relationship. You can learn more about us on our website in the show notes, and we'll see you same time, same place next week.